Okay, welcome to January 12th on Joe's Daily U.S. History Lesson. It is I, your host, Joseph DiCristoforo, and this show is going through some changes. Yes, it is. I'm working on the new YouTube channel with new content hot off the keystrokes of my fingertips. I still do my own research, recording, editing, and marketing, but I think the time has come for me to change the name of this podcast. It's that word history. It sounds so boring. Lately, I've been asking for input on what to change the name to, and I appreciate the response from my friends thus far. What do you think about Joe's Daily U.S. Freedoms? Hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Joe's Daily U.S. History Lesson. Thanks very much for that. Don't forget to like and share while you're there. And now on to today's headlines. FDR brings back the National War Labor Board. Also, rest in peace to the first lady who almost made it to the White House. I'm talking about Ellen Arthur, Chester's wife. Daniel Burnham pioneers the modern skyscraper. And Super Bowl news with the Steelers, as well as Joe Namath. So now, here I go! 1942. FDR brings back the National War Labor Board. It was originally formed in 1918 by President Wilson as 12 representatives from business and labor that intended to strengthen the position of labor. By 1920, 15% of non-agricultural work was unionized. The board disbanded shortly after the end of World War I. When World War II hit, Roosevelt wanted to prevent labor union strikes since there is no time for that nonsense in the middle of a war with two other countries. The NWLB's goal was to mediate between parties involved in industrial disputes, to intercede and impose settlement in order to prevent any pause in production, and later would be able to control wages and prices by stipulating that any adjustments of wages had to be cleared through it. 1880. Rest in peace First Lady Ellen Arthur, although she did not live long enough to really be a First Lady. Her husband, Chester, would be president until 1881, actually. Ellen Lewis Herndon, just call her Nell, was born August 30th, 1837 in Culpeper Courthouse, Virginia. Her father was a commander for the U.S. Navy who was sent to explore the Amazon, but in 1857, while sailing from Havana, Cuba to New York, he shipwrecked off of the coast of North Carolina, and after assuring the safety of most of his passengers and crew, he went down with a ship. A year later, her cousin, Danny Herndon, a medical student in New York introduced Nell to his roommate, the dude, her future husband. Chester the Elegant was a young lawyer at the time. They got married on October 25th or 29th, depending on whether you're checking history.com or Wikipedia or the Miller Center or Britannica. But the Civil War was tough for Nell, since her husband was a quartermaster general of the Union Army, as well as general of state troops while her alliance was with her family in Virginia in the Confederate States of America. But the dude, who called his wife a little rebel, financially helped out his rebel in-laws whenever he could, and even assisted in the release of one of her cousins who is a Confederate POW. Nellie and Chet had three children. William, who died at three years old. Alan, who went to law school but never actually practiced, rather marrying rich California babes. And Ellen, who lived her life in relative obscurity in New York City. When Chet and James Garfield won the Republican nomination at the Republican National Convention, combined with her brother's untimely death in 1878, Nell hated the fact that her husband was running for president and even considered getting a, and even considered getting a separation from the dude. Then one night, while waiting for a carriage after singing, 
at a singing soprano at a fundraiser in New York City, she caught a nasty case of pneumonia. And the New York Times reported on January 13, 1880, that things weren't looking so good for Mrs. Arthur. At the time, Chet was campaigning for his presidential bid in upstate New York, and he rushed down as soon as he could, but it was too late. She tragically passed away on this day in 1880. Chet would assume the presidential roles in 1881 after the other untimely death of President James Garfield. While elegant Arthur, the dude president, served, her sister Mary would carry on the first lady duties. From his window, Chet could see St. John's Episcopal's church, where he donated a stained glass window to be installed in her honor, where Nell's funeral took place. Rest in peace, Ellen. Two thousand thirteen, Fred Garbutt takes over the International Banana Museum. Let me unpeel this story here. The original big banana was Ken Bannister from Hesperia, California. Not to get all mushy, but to the core, Bannister was a heck of a guy. He described the banana as quote a meal and appeal that treats skin, hair, shoes, and bushes, no bones doesn't squirt, squeak, or leak, and can be eaten like corn. I don't know how the banana treats bushes. That's just what Ken said. Literally. Ken loved bananas so much, he spent $150,000 building the International Banana Club. But by 2005, the city of Hesperia, California, told him to close down the museum. Yellow! Things started to get a little bit spotty, and Bannister became unpeeled and lost his skin when he realized he had to sell his fortune to Fred Garbett, who expanded this international banana club. I know, it's a slippery slope. 2017, Sean McVay becomes the youngest NFL head coach ever. I think I was halfway done with high school when this cat was born. McVay played for the Miami of Ohio Red Hawks from 04 to 07, graduated in 08, went to the Tampa Bay Bucks as an assistant coach, and through head coach John Gruden's brother Jay, who was a UFL coach in Florida, was hired as a tight end coach. Then McVay went back to the NFL and became tight end coach for the Redskins. Jay also went to the NFL where he became head coach of the Washington Redskins and made McVay an offensive coordinator. The duo of Gruden and McVay turned around a lousy Redskins team and made them serious contenders, going from 26th place in the NFL overall in 2014 to 10th place a year later. That's how McVay would become head coach of a very young Los Angeles Rams team. There, he turned around the team from a horrible start to serious NFL contenders. McVay got the job just nine days before his 31st birthday, he was even younger than Lane Kiffin, actually, by about a year and a half, when Kiffin got the head coaching job for the Raiders in 2007. We're used to seeing gray and white-haired coaches in the NFL, but yet here he is. Sean McVay, with some of the players actually older than him, got his fast start because, so far, he's been a great head coach with tremendous potential. And so that's going to wrap it up for January 12th on Joe's Daily U.S. History Lesson. Once again, I'm your host, Joseph DeCristoforo. Check out the website, joesdailyushistorylesson.com, as well as the Facebook page. Let me know what you thought about today's program. For example, students and alumni of Santa Clara. Is there anything you care to add to the story of Santa Clara DSAS? Or what about Cotton Tom? 
Have you seen a picture of him in that suit? My goodness. Have you ever been to the International Banana Museum? If so, why? Or what about the Rams? Did they beat the Cowboys? You realize I recorded this show before the game, right? So yeah, let me know what your take is. And don't forget to check out some of the multiple choice quizzes while you're on the website. Good luck with those. And be sure to check out tomorrow's episode. I'll talk about the Battle of New Orleans, the first home television sets, and the Venezuelan crisis. So don't miss it. And until then, thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks for being great patriotic Americans. And we will see you tomorrow. Good night now.